I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. We were so desperate for cash that Justin... uh, and I both applied, applied for predatory lender loans. Like, you know, the ones you get in the mail where it's like 20% APR, or you qualify for 20 grand or whatever. I took a 35 grand loan out at, you know, 17% APR or whatever. Uh, Justin's credit was so bad, he got denied um, from, from a predatory lender. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, we talk ice cream with Halo Top president and COO Doug Bowden, whose low sugar and low calorie dessert brand catapulted from a simple idea into a global phenomenon in one of the shortest time spans the food industry has ever seen. But bootstrapping a business can be painful, and Doug decided early on not to take the same advice he saw his peers taking. Uh, industry insiders will tell you you have to do Expo West. We were told that will ruin our business if we don't do that trade show by everybody. And we were the only ones. We just said, why? 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 Just ask why. <laughs> like, why will that? Like, the buyers don't even want to be at that trade show. It's a zoo. Why, why is it not a better use of my time and money to go meet them in their office one-on-one? Find out why Doug pivoted to entrepreneurship from an entirely different career. Why healthy ice cream was such a tough sell early on. And how Halo Top actually got its name. The story might surprise you. Unfinished Biz starts now. Robin, this was a really exciting one for us. Halo Top's been a bit of a mystery to us and, and everyone else. And, and it, pretty much everybody in the industry. And, you know, I was so excited when Doug said he'd, he'd join us on our, our podcast to learn sure. a little bit more about the true Halo Top story. And what an amazing, what an amazing journey that these guys have been on. And, you know, one of the funny things, it's, it's not... It hasn't been a very long one yet. No, not at all. But for them, it's it's really a story born out of necessity where, you know, I think people don't remember the early days of Halo Top where it wasn't this explosive brand yet, but where cash was really a struggle for them where they had to really think about how they're going to spend it. Because um, I think you know, a lot of folks in the industry look at Halo Top and go, well, why didn't they do things the same way as everyone else's? Actually, it's because they did ask why. They tried a lot of things like trade shows and sampling, and they found it didn't work for them. And they continue to ask themselves, why should I do that? And, and I think it's this reluctance to – it wasn't a reluctance to actually take advice as much as it was more of a, a prioritization of not raising you know, money just to raise money. Right? Right. It was very much more, hey, if I'm not going to continue to raise, I'm going to have to do something different. I'm going to have to challenge those norms. And the reason why we're all talking about this business today is because, well, you know, the path they chose was wildly successful in a short amount of time. And one of the dynamics is a virtual business. I mean, Halo Top started in L.A., but we met with Doug in Chicago, where he now lives with his family. My partner and my side have a business partner. So Justin and myself, we were both attorneys. Um, we met in a lawyer basketball league of all things. So <laughs> high level of competition. I like to always say, you know, playing, a, lot of, a lot of arguing, playing above the rim. Yeah, a lot of arguing. Nice. Yeah. What what did his basketball skills tell you about what he was going to be like as a partner? Uh, he's terrible at basketball. Okay. Uh, <laughs> nah, I'm joking. He'll he'll take issue with that. Nice. Um, no, it would. I mean, I, I do think you can learn a lot about somebody on a basketball court, though. I feel sure. like if you play basketball, you kind of know uh, how they'll behave in certain situations outside of, of basketball. So For sure. I, I like the game, but um, beyond that, I was a I, I, I was a, a jaded, pretty disenchanted attorney. Um, 
and I was just looking to get out. So I only did it for about a year. And as I was quitting, um, told my now business partner, Justin, uh, warming up on the basketball court. And he had told me, Hey, I've, he had create, it was his idea. He had created, um, the original version, which is almost unrecognizable to what it is today, but he had created the original version. Um, he had already brought it to market, but really needed a, a or was looking for a partner to kind of help, um, you know, explode it even more. So, so he had um, already left the legal field at that point. He was actually he was doing this essentially in his downtime. Okay, so he he was kind of moonlighting as this you know ice cream uh, guy. Um, <laughs> it, it started just for him. He really made it in his home kitchen. Right, just wanted wasn't even thinking about starting a company. Just wanted mm-hmm. to eat a whole pint of ice cream and not hate himself for it. Yeah, it was that basic. Um, told me about the concept. I, I tried it. Um, I was blown away. Even back then, the formula again now is so much better than it was then. But even back then, uh, it, it was incredible, especially if you kind of get it right off the product line before it gets beat up through the frozen supply chain. So um, I tried it. Um, I was blown away. And then, you know, just in conversations, I, I shadowed him to a sales meeting um, and just got hooked. And I think he knew kind of exactly what he was doing. Uh, you know, kind of giving me a taste here and there. And, and then, you know, I got hooked and, and I dived in with him. And um, I think we, we both thought, hey. What year was this, by the way? This would have been probably, we, we probably started talking about it late 2012. Okay. And I officially um, joined in like early 2013. Okay. Um, and that was, again, he had, we, we had some limited distribution. I think we, I think we first hit shelves in June of 2012. Um, just kind of small stores in and around LA, um, and then it was kind of early 2013 where you know um, uh, he had gotten Sprouts and UNFI, mm-hmm. and you know was starting to expand where it was more than a one man shop, and he needed um, some help. So asked me to join. I took the leap with him, and uh, you know the rest is history. I guess was when there, you joined, was he just by himself? Just him. Yep. Okay. And was there a name at that point, or was it already yeah. Halo Top? No, the name is is funny. Um, it, it, I we actually had to file the DBA for Halo Top, so the legal name of the company is Eden Creamery, E D E N, and we. Uh, <laughs> should have known this as attorneys, but uh, Eden Foods is one of the biggest foods in the right. natural foods industry. Not only that, they're also extremely litigious. So they sue anybody and everybody that has Eden in their name. So we realized that and said, hey, let's get ahead of this. Um, change the name. There was no, you know, we didn't go to, you know, Burning Man and smoke peyote and right. you know, have some <laughs> religious experience. Like it, it was very practical where Eden was four letters. Yeah. We went down a list. Halo was four letters. Um, Halo Creamery didn't really have a ring to it, so you know, threw the top on it, Halo Top Creamery, and, and had the gold lid to match. Um, so it, it was that. But in eight and the five trademark, five, and the trademark was you look on USPTO, and tra- the, and it was available. Trademark was available. <laughs> eight five five Halo Top was available, so it all worked out. And then wow. you know, in hindsight, we, we think the name it's a great name. And it is. I think it really absolutely. Um, it. it it really helps the brand to have a name like that. So but you guys didn't go through some crate. You didn't do a, an agency. You didn't do any of that stuff. Or? So funny enough, Justin had started with, you know, one of these marketing guys right. or consultants who I, I think, uh, <laughs> he gave him three names. I think the first name was Justino's or something <laughs> like that. And uh, <laughs> again, we, we, we're, we're not Ben and Jerry deliberately, right. you know, we don't, it, it's not Justino's. It's not Doug and Justin. Right. It's, it's Halo top. And, and we want it to be that way. So, yeah, uh, but we he kind of got rid of the the marketing <laughs> guy early on and, and said, hey, you know, I'm just going to go with my gut, yeah. and, uh, and that's how it happened. So when you got started, what was how'd you guys divide up the roles? 
Uh, it just kind of fell into, I ended up uh, taking sales and operations, and he took finance and marketing. Um, granted, you know, it, that sounds probably more sophisticated than it was. You know, sales was uh, me uh, quite literally, you know, calling corporate offices, trying to sketchily ask for the contact to the buyer, and then I just <laughs> blast them with emails. And, you know, finance was QuickBooks. Um, and, you know, operations was a spreadsheet. You know, it's kind of – but that's how it started. He did finance and marketing. I did sales and ops. We're both, um, you know, the type – we're kind of wired very similarly where we don't like group projects. We just want to do it ourselves. So we kind of would, you know, just divvy up the task. Like if something needed to get done, we'd figure out which one of us had more free time and one of us would do it. And we'd talk, you know, every day. And uh, that's how it happened. So how did you go about creating a category? So when you first started going to retailers with this concept, obviously it's – a lot different today than sure. than it was then. How did you pitch it? I mean, it's again at its most highest level. It's healthy ice cream that tastes great. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, though, it, that seems it's taken for granted now because there's so many Me Too right. competitors. And like yep. you said, we we created a category. And when you create a category, private label, and everybody else from the big guys to the little guys come into it. So there's probably 15 or 20 different um, copycats out there. And Early on, though, it wasn't that way. And so everybody was skeptical, and all the buyers, uh, one, it would require, you know, a little bit of work to, you know, create a new item and, and take a chance on us. So you'd have to get the right buyer who'd be willing to take that chance, who, who could stick with us through the hard times because there were hard times. And, um, yeah, it, it was it was just a hustle, though. That's all it was. It was just grinding it out. Um, it was a numbers game. You know, I, I, I probably flew um, over – a three-year period, um, I, I must have attended in person more than 100 sales meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's not to mention the amount of emails and phone calls on top of that. So, I mean, it's just, it was a numbers game. And we, we try to get anywhere and everywhere, and you hope some, some of them pan out. So, Were you, did you have your signature package at that time? Did you already have the no, calories in no, front? So Tell we, us about what the first iteration of Halo Top actually looked like. Yeah, so if you look it up, um, I can still find some images and share them with you. It, it was... Uh, much more um, the old packaging, um, which it, it was a holdover from Eden Creamery. Um, so we didn't change the packaging originally. We just changed the name. Um, and the old packaging was pro- it, 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 it had more of kind of a nostalgic connotation, like homemade ice cream, right. gourmet, you know, in your backyard growing up. Right. You know, you had a picnic and made some ice cream. Not what Halo Top is. That's not our brand. That's not our product. So we, we rebranded. Um, that didn't hit shelves, though, until 2015. Um, so the 2015 resets is when the new uh, product or the new packaging, as you see today, hit shelves. Um, it was in development in 14, hit shelves in 15. And that was, you know, hey, we've got a we really like minimalist branding. We can't get the message lost in the 20 selling points. We got to pick the biggest one or two. In our case, it was calories right. uh, and protein. And we, we thought those were the two biggest. That'd be enough. Somebody can then look on the back and say, oh, it's low sugar. Oh, it's high fiber. Oh, it's gluten-free xyz right. you know um all the other stuff and but yeah that was a big deal for us the two biggest things that we did were we we reformulated drastically um at one point that made it a lot more resilient through the supply chain so the end customer would have the same experience or a very similar experience to getting it right off the production line and then two we rebranded and yep. both of those happened uh largely at the same time so it allowed us to kind of get back customers we had lost and then retain new customers going forward which was a big challenge it's really become a signature to halo top to have the the total calories in the pint right in the front yeah 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 no it, it has i wish we could copyright that but we can't so <laughs> was there a total number of calories that you guys believe was the ceiling for this concept 
we just thought i mean it was it's kind of how it just how it shook out with the mix so the original formula and mix comes out to just roughly 300 calories and then you know with the higher inclusion flavors where you have more cookie dough pieces or something those would be higher the ones that don't they'll be lower um, but that's just how it shook out, and we knew. It, it, I think it's just it's all relative. So Ben and Jerry's Hagen Dazs, they'll be eleven, twelve hundred calorie pints. So you put something that's two hundred and eighty to three hundred and sixty. That's a drastic difference. For Whereas, sure. you know, um, if you look at um, you know some of the uh, Ben and Jerry's came out with a competitor called Muforia, yeah, and they're they're about six hundred calories. So to me, it's like you know that's almost. A separate i don't know if that's that might be a new space like a mid calorie pint i right. don't know um it's not it's not it's about double our calories though so yeah and the sugar is higher than yours too right correct yeah because what's your sugar band that you guys are trying to target depends on the flavor but again we we try to be probably um about certainly less than half usually about a third of what you'll see in the full Got calorie it. guys um so yeah it's calories are about a quarter to a third sugar is about a third um, and then we usually maintain or have even more protein than uh, than the other guys. You're going to so ask a question. Yes, yeah, so you were going into this new category. Obviously, both of you guys are reform lawyers. E- even going about going to a, a sales pitch, how did you figure out where to start, what to talk about, any of that? Yeah, um, I mean, we're very practical guys, you know, and, and to me, that's it. You know, can you, why would somebody take this on? It's just, it. Sales is as long as you believe in what you're saying, it's it's easy, and, and you just have to be able to present it in a way that's clear and concise. That's the key. You know, mm-hmm. you, we can't present a 50 page deck. These guys are busy; they have no interest in you know spending three hours with you. They'll give you 15 minutes if you're lucky, right? And you better make the most of that. So it, it wasn't. It, it sounds weird, but I mean, there's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It was just, hey, get a clear and concise deck, get right to the concept, get the product in front of them because the taste is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are like, oh, that can't taste good. Um, and so get the taste in front of them and, and then let the product speak for itself almost. And at that point in time, were there people that you were sort of going to for a bit of mentorship or some industry insight? Or was this just more, hey, this makes sense Head to down, me? Head down, yeah. Not really, no. No, yeah. we, we didn't. Uh, I, I think that helped us, though, not being outsiders. On the, I think we were naive enough to think it was easy. And it's mm-hmm. not, <laughs> as we found out. <laughs> Um, but if, if we had known what we know now, I don't know if we each would have taken the leap and, and taken all the risk and everything else that we had to do to get here because it, it was it was hard. And, and I think we thought it was going to be easy, so we took the leap. And that um, I think that helped uh, I mean, being that naive. In retrospect, and it's probably easier to answer now, but what was the biggest surprise, um, especially during those early, early years? Just how – I mean, just how hard it is in the sense of n- nobody – Nobody wants to go to a supermarket and spend 30 minutes in each aisle studying every brand. Right. You know, so it, you can have the best product in the world. You can have the best service in the world. You can be the smartest, hardest worker. doesn't matter. Um, your product's not going to sell unless you find a way to get it out there and market it and, and pull it off the shelf. So I think that was pulling it off the shelf um, and, and getting the formula right were probably the two hardest things for us. And I think we naively thought, hey, this is going to be easy. Uh, what a great who, once we, who, who, once, wouldn't, yeah. who wouldn't want healthy ice cream that tastes great right once we once we get in it's it's gonna fly kick our feet up we're yeah. good and that's yeah. that's not how it is yeah so what what do you consider to be the big break for halo top when what's the turning point yeah so we um kind of previewed it earlier we reformulated um we rebranded and then 2015 things started to pick up um a little bit we had kind of moved beyond the 
the discontinue threshold, which is right. where we were living in 13 and 14. <laughs> yep. and, yeah. and um, I mean, we weren't much beyond it, though. But, you know, we were getting some traction. We were getting some growth year over year. And then early 2016, um, we got a, an article in GQ that went a bit viral where um, we don't recommend this, but the guy ate nothing but Halo Top, literally nothing but Halo Top for 10 days. Um, he called it the Halo Top Diet, and it was a GQ. <laughs> And it, how, it, it's such a great article. The how way, did that come about? Yeah. Was this just you guys seeding them or nope. totally organic? His like uh, trainer was a fan of Halo Top and got him eating it. We had no idea it was coming. Our, our web hits, we always would track our web yeah. hits, and they were just going nuts. And, and like, then you can track where it comes from. Uh-huh. And we found the article. Tried to give him ice cream, but he's like, no, I don't. I, you know, he had too much integrity. He's like, I don't, I don't want to be bribed for my article or anything. Yeah. And we're like, okay. Also, but, he'd been know. eating nothing but Halo Top for a while. That's right. He had already paid a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that article, and then a week later, BuzzFeed came out and, and did an article as well, which also, you know, BuzzFeed huge yeah, show. Right. Um, those two put millions of eyeballs on the product at a time when we were probably in three to five thousand stores so mm-hmm. enough stores where we might we're not everywhere right but close enough where you don't have to travel a hundred miles to find it right. um and then the brand and the product were great at the time so customer retention was through the roof word of mouth um all of our kind of digital social media strategies we knew work but that just gave us you know fuel to add to the fire was buzzfeed a seeded article or was that also organic buzzfeed um it it was not paid yep. um but we we had the relationship with the editor there Got um, it. she i think she was on a weight loss journey herself or had been on the prior year and just was organically was a fan of the product I see. um so that's yeah that's kind of the the best thing i think that that we've done is we we don't pay for posts um and we generally even if it's a celebrity or somebody they're actually just authentically genuinely fans of the product um which is great and did you guys start as digital marketing ex- was that part of the game plan from the beginning to in terms of really leading with influencer marketing yeah it was certainly those are like social media influencer those have all become buzzwords and i mean people <laughs> people on their resumes now say they're influencers so it, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's the world we live in now but we um, we grew up with Instagram in a lot of ways. So back when we started, Instagram isn't what it is now. It didn't even sell ads. Um, but we use that for our influencer approach. And we define influencer probably very different than – not celebrities. We said, hey, yeah. if you have – I think it was back in the day, it was like if you have at least a 1,000 – just a 1,000 followers, if you generally get 100 likes a post – um, as long as you're demographically in the market for our product, and we could do that by hashtag. So if somebody hashtags FitFam or if it fits your macros, the kind of healthy eating hashtags, which would have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of posts, we just troll through those, try to find people with enough followers and geographically located where they could buy us, reach out and say, hey, we, we think you'd like our product. Can we get you some? And it was that basic uh, approach, and we had kind of an army of college interns that, that we put the work at it and uh and that's how we did it and then yeah facebook on the other end same thing we we went through we were with facebook before they even had power editor and kind of went through all kinds of versions of their uh digital targeted marketing piece but we also tried early on we tried demos we thought that everybody just says hey do demos all people need to do is taste the product yep. so we we spent a lot of time early on doing that waste of time and money um didn't work for us and what was and when you kind of think back on that what was the thing that that wasn't working just the fact that um it, it all comes down to you're demoing in a store people go to the grocery store and they want to get out of the grocery store it's a task mm-hmm. so they don't want to sit there and listen to you they'll take a free ice cream sample right but they're not going to want to sit there for five minutes and hear you 
talk spew about on it. about hey, why it's not <laughs> just any other ice cream. Right. So I mean that that was a learning experience yeah. for us. Though I didn't know that going in. Yeah. And, and I think we thought all we have to do is demo, and then boom, everybody yeah, will buy it. Right. Yeah, they can't believe this exists. You right. know, and that, that's just not what happened. So um, that that was re- really refocusing our efforts to just more to be more efficient. And if we're going to spend a dollar or spend an hour of time, is it going to generate more than one dollar on the back end? And very quickly we realized that trade shows, labor-intensive stuff, trade shows, demos, stuff like that, we weren't going to get the ROI that we wanted. It was a lot more efficient to focus on digital. And it's an interesting point. I mean, you, you know, in, in the within the, the food and beverage ecosystem, Halo Top's never never been seen at a, one of the, tra- the food industry trade shows. 2013, what? 2014. You did? Oh, you did? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we did Expo West 2013. We did Fancy Food Show 2013, and then we did Expo West 2014. Huh. So basically, when you hit it, was when you off. when you is when you turned off trade trade shows. That's the perception. Um, <laughs> it was actually well before we hit it. So March right. of 2014, we were still we were getting discontinued everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we uh, we said, hey, w- why did we just spend 30 grand on Expo West? Um, God knows how much time and effort right. building the booth and and staffing the booth. And all we we met like one buyer there who had fifteen stores who didn't want to be there because it's a zoo, and I I said hey why aren't we spending this money so I can go fly around the country meet with these people one on one in their home offices you know with our broker, um, we just thought that's a more efficient use of time and resource. It was only two of us, right? So that's the thing is like we it was two of us until twenty sixteen, um, wow. and my little brother he joined. Uh, early on, and he was kind of our, our grunt, so to speak. So he, he'd do anything we needed, um, and now he he runs like our communications department. So he's the face and voice of the brand, or his department is. So um, he's come a long way. But early on, it was like, hey, we need a sample shipment, or we right. need you to go to Whole Foods and do a demo. Um, but it was th- that's how lean we were. I mean, yeah. we we really in in hindsight probably uh, should have started hiring more quickly, and and it was probably to our detriment that we we held on as long as we did, just two of us uh, or three, if you count Raj. Um, but speaking of lean, so you talked about $30,000. So how did you fund this business starting out? We did uh, – well, starting out, we bootstrapped. Yep. Um, so Justin had um, put in probably, uh, I want to say, more than hundred k of cash, probably another 100 150 in credit card debt. Um, I ended up putting in about um, twenty k in cash, and then I probably, I don't know, had anywhere uh, probably – Twenty-five to thirty k in credit card debt, and then another. We you always need like, to get higher credit card limits. And we we tried. <laughs> so the funny thing was, is we got to the point where we were so desperate for cash that Justin uh, and I both applied applied for predatory lender loans, like you know the ones you get in the mail. Yeah, it's like twenty yeah. percent APR. Right. You qualify for twenty grand or whatever. I took a thirty-five grand loan out at you know seventeen percent APR Oof. or whatever. Uh, Justin's credit was so bad he got denied um, <laughs> from, <yeah. laughs> from from a predatory lender. So nice. I think my credit was in like the mid to low sixes. I think he had dipped under six and couldn't even get a, uh, a loan from a predatory lender. So it, that's what we had done personally. We were both essentially personally bankrupt, um, and then we did two rounds of friends and family financing. Okay. Um, so we did a five hundred thousand dollar round in twenty thirteen and a million dollar round in twenty fifteen, and that's it. So. Um, Raised one and a half million to date, and in part of that, you did some of that through Circle Up, right, or no? So the way we use Circle Up is we basically are are each of our rounds. Like I think we had raised in the first round four hundred or four fifty of our own network, okay. and 
I had gotten in touch with Circle Up and Ryan over there and said, "Hey, can I put this up and just try to close it out? We already have you know raised eighty plus percent of the the round, and right. we've already closed on it." And he let us so Circle like one or two investors came in and closed out the first round. Same thing on the second one. I think we had raised eight fifty or nine hundred of the million. I said, "Hey, can I throw this back up and um, you know close it out on Circle Up?" So that, that's how so, we use them. So Halo Top to date only raised a, a million and a half. Yeah, that's and, incredible. And, and I want right. to. I want to highlight that because I think there's a perception in just in the the general ecosystem that 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 a business your size it can't be built without raising a ton of cash. And I think you know any insights you have to share on that, I think that'd be really helpful to other entrepreneurs. Sure. I mean, I, we came, I came from the corporate lawyer world where you know our clients were private equity and VC funds, and um, I, look, I don't like them. Um, we didn't want to work for them. We didn't want to take their investment. Um, they'll they'll sell you on this or that. So we, from day one, that was our goal. Um, was like, hey, can we can we do this without that? And then we, you know, you have to get lucky. And we got lucky that we hit the growth curve. We did where cash flow from operations could support growth. Um, so if you, you have to hit just a crazy growth curve to do that, or other gross margins and gross margins, you're right. But you have to do that to um, to grow as fast as we wanted to grow. Otherwise, you can grow. You can grow slower or right. a little more stable. Right. Um, it'll just take a little bit longer. But you, you, you just kind of have to make the decision. I, early on, though, it, the key is cash is gold. So yeah. I, I don't think, I think people raise around, even friends and family, and they're feeling good. And it's like, no, no, no. You, you, like cash is gold. Like you, you cannot spend $1 early on if you are not convinced that you're going to get more than a dollar back. Like you, you've got to be – and there's so much noise. Uh, industry insiders will tell you you have to do Expo West. We were told that will ruin our business if we don't do that trade show by everybody. Yeah, we were the only ones. We just said why, why, why? Just ask why. <laughs> That's right. Like why will that? Like the buyers yeah. don't even want to be at that trade show. It's a zoo. Why? Why is it not a better use of my time and money to go meet them in their office one on one? Why? Why? And nobody would have answers. They just said you can't do it. You have to do it. Um, same thing with demos. Um, the store ads, which are basically junk mail, that get thrown out, and they'll charge you a thousand bucks to run one of those. We we would do our best to you know say, hey, let us take that and run a targeted social media ad for you instead of spending on on that ad. It'll be better for you and better for us. Look, sometimes that doesn't work, and they say do the ad or else. So you right. you, you kind of have to do it. It's a cost it's part of the deal, right? yeah. But yeah. to the you just have to protect the cash uh, as much as you possibly can, and that that's the that's probably I think the the thing people don't realize is, is you know, you, you feel good when you raise a round or raise a little bit of money, but it, it's finite and, yeah. and it's going to, it's going to be gone. So two questions. The first is just, as you kind of thought about raising, was there any magic to the dollar figure that you were trying to raise? Yeah, we tried to basically raise, um, based on a burn rate. We said, Hey, the first 500 we thought would last us 12 to 18 months. Okay. And the second one we thought right around 15 months. Um, now I can tell you by the time, and we can get into this, but when we raised the second round, it was painful enough where both my partner and I said, "Hey, if this thing hasn't hit by the time this money dries up, we were done." Right. Um, we were just spent. It, it is was twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. That would have been in uh, well, sixteen was the make or break year. Yeah. So we finished raising in fifteen. Fifteen would have probably lasted until the end of sixteen if we didn't hit the growth curve. We hit. Got um, it. Right. Go so ahead, it was going to be either, and this is my second question, is I think a lot of people raise, and the idea really is that there's a finite amount of money, and it'll take me to X point or X date, right? Yeah. And so I guess you guys also had that mentality. It wasn't necessarily, hey, I'm, this million-dollar round is it. 
Yeah. This is this is all I'm going to raise forever. I guess you didn't enter into it thinking that. I think that's part of our mentality. We never got ahead of ourselves. So we never – I think we're both blown away by the scale of where the company has gone to. We, we could not have dreamed it would have, it, it would have gotten as big as it has. Mm-hmm. And that's because we never really – we just kind of had our heads down. Right. Like we weren't 30,000 feet thinking, you know – about this massive ice cream industry that the brand is going international now. It, it, it's insane um, to think about where we were then and now. And I think that helped us. So it wasn't like, you know, we're only going to raise this amount of money or we're only going to do that. It was like, it, it was one step at a time. And it was like, what do we need to do? We yeah. need to raise a million dollars to last through the end of 16. So right. we're going to raise that money or, you know, we're going to, um, you know, reformulate or rebrand, you know, each one, it was just one step at a time. And there's probably, you know, 29 decisions that, are critical, critical decisions, and had we not made them when we made them or gotten a, a lot of luck, because that's obviously involved too, uh, we wouldn't be here today. But it, it's not it, – it's just more of – I think if you get too far ahead of yourself, yeah. you'll you'll lose sight of where you are. I know this is somewhat of a tactical question, but I do think it's helpful for people. As you think about sort of the chunks of time and how, how you're working towards goals, is it – are you thinking back in the day, was it like, hey – the next six months or the next three months because it doesn't sound like it's hey i'm planning for three years out yeah no it was um (laughs) back in the day for sure i don't think it was ever more than a year out got it um it was probably you know three to six month increments Mm -hmm. now we're (laughs) you kind of have to um think a little further out now so now we're we're still not that far but i'd say maybe we're you know 18 to 24 months out (laughs) trying to trying to get to that three to five year uh, outlook but um right now you know, it's still we're still not that far um, out. But yeah, back then it was certainly smaller, and yep. it was like, hey, how do we get through the next three months? Yep. And it'd be, you know, survive or die. I mean, that, that those were the stakes, right? I mean, we we were both bankrupted. This thing went under. We were going under, and um, it was like, what do we need to do? We need thirty more grand to bridge us to right. the next raise. Yep. So let's see if Lending Club will give me thirty right. grand. That yeah. I can you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. it was that simple. Of here's the problem. Here's a possible solution let's try it and then another problem will present itself and we'll figure that one out later you know you don't don't even think about those right you'll just address them as the problems come up one by one yeah but the other thing that just as an as an outsider observing halo top just a very unique retail launch strategy of you know you talked about you know the gq article and certainly the influencer marketing piece but you know how you launch was was unique you know yeah. you, you guys went kind of all in on digital couponing as a key lever to pull to drive initial trial can you talk a little bit more about kind of how that came about and how you guys do it sure sure um yeah we so for us it's all about targeting and and whenever no matter what we do it's can we target it so we, we try we don't want to do you know um for the most part coupons that would be in you know the sunday newspaper or that would go to every household right uh, at Kroger or whatever. So we, we partnered with um, one or more companies that uh, would allow us to target a customer based on other products they buy, uh, where they're located, stuff like that, that would allow us to say, hey, this person is in the market for us. And the other thing is we could target based on they have not purchased Halo Top. So we know that they're not a customer yet, but they buy Greek yogurt, for mm-hmm. example. So right. you know that's a good indicator for us that, hey, they'll be in the market for Halo Top. So um, you know, those are the ty- types of programs we found and uh, found a lot of su- success uh, running them. Um, and then, you know, it became once we hit the growth curve, it became a race because, you know, it's capitalism. We know competition is coming. Right. 
you enjoy the monopoly while you have it, but it's not going to last forever. So it, it became as much of a defensive as an offensive strategy where, you know, we want to, it's much easier to acquire a customer that nobody has than to steal a customer from a competitor. So mm-hmm. we, we really wanted to get to, and still do, get to as many customers who've never heard about our brand or even this better for you ice cream, really the Halo Top category, so to speak. Uh, we want to get to those customers before anybody else, and this is one of the strategies that we use to do that. And it was truly revolutionary. I mean, I think, you know, it became a bit of a talk of the industry where you would, from what we observe, what we would observe, you'd go into a, a brand new account, you'd get, you know, a couple shelves or, or what, whatever that may be, and launch through a digital couponing application like Ibotta or Catalina, and basically a consumer could get a whole pint free for the first time. Yep. And, and just to get them going. And yeah, I think and that, that was, no one's really ever done it at that kind of level before i i think we were fortunate that um again we we took off so rapidly and it was only one product so we're not a massive company that yeah. has a tons tons of different brands and products and has to allocate budgets we had one product that was you know this is our core business and we could go all in on it um before you know we just launched non-dairy as kind of the second yep. extension mm-hmm. of it um but yeah we could go all in on it and we knew customer retention again it's the the experience, um, what we really want Halo Top to be is that, you know, somebody say, I cannot believe this exists. And this can be really anything. But for us, this is uh, healthy ice cream that tastes great and, and or healthy non-dairy ice cream that tastes great um, or, you know, anything. Else. We, we have some scoop shops now and we want that. When somebody walks into one of our retail scoop shops in L.A., we want the experience to be, oh, my God, this is a slice of Halo Top heaven. I can't believe this exists. Right. And that's. If we're going to take our brand anywhere, we want that to be the reaction. And, and I think that's – if you can execute on that, then the customer retention will be through the roof. And you give – why wouldn't you give somebody one free product if you think they're going to be a lifetime customer? Lifetime consumer, you know? right. Well, so. could you actually track retention? Because I think one of the things that's interesting, you obviously really are you're preserving cash, understand the importance of cash. Yep. These coupons are expensive. So how did you know that they were actually working, paying off – you know, obviously, people were redeeming. Sure. But. So a lot of it is, um, well, one, you have to trust your instinct that your product, if you don't have the retention, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yes, we can track on the back end. We can say, hey, they received a coupon, they redeemed a coupon, and then X weeks later, they bought a pint. Gotcha. And that's kind of how we, we try to track, like, okay, if that person is now a customer. Right. And, you, and that's how we track the ROI and that type of thing. And it wasn't some crazy LTV calculation. It sounds like it's, it sounds like it's <laughs> hey – Never used it before, now a customer. Correct. Um, yeah. Yep. And then success kind of led to more success, right? Because, you know, you, you, I'm sure you start, you, you mentioned earlier about you 15 minutes with a buyer. Yeah. I'm sure you brought in some amazing data after that of like, <laughs> how, how could you not carry a full door of us? Look, yeah, the, at, look the, at what Kroger is doing as an example. How can you not? The dynamic the of the meetings has changed. It changed, right? Uh, yeah. A bit. And it's... um. It's certainly a lot more fun to, to present now. I will say it's interesting going through the life cycles where, um, you know, we're this monopoly player. And at, at one point last year, the, you know, bigger than Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs yep. um, to, you know, now every retailer is like, all right, w- what are you doing this year? Where's that growth? And we're like, well, at some point the business is going to mature a little bit. Right. And, you know, then that's when you come out with non-dairy and you, you, you know, you come out with your new products. So. Um, that that's the idea behind non-dairy and hopefully other things that we can do in the future. But it, it the meetings now are certainly um, longer. They can be more strategic where, you know, we can actually engage in kind of the joint business planning type things that the big guys, uh, the Nestle's and the Unilever's get to do. 
they look to us for category captaincy stuff. They want to advice on, hey, where do you see this category going? Objectively, not put in 10 doors of Halo Top. Right. Like, no, like here, if if I were you, here's what I would do objectively with your category, and I think this can grow it 10 20% year over year, whatever it may be. Um, so it, it's fun now that it's been it, – it's a little more – uh, strategic than it was, whereas right. before it was the product started taking off. There's nothing strategic. Then you know, look at the data. Like you, you have to carry the product. Right, right. Um, whereas now we can, you know, really try to advise them and partner with them in a more meaningful way. So now you're you're in the, a bit of the law of big numbers of trying to grow off a really big base. Yeah. So how do you keep growing from here? So I think Chobani is pro- that we've looked at. Chob- we've raised money. Like our investor docs mentioned Chobani, and I, I think that's the best example and really the company that we, um, on some level, idolize. Um, so if you look at, I'm sure their core business and their first product matured um, at some point, and then, then it becomes the strength of the brand that you've created. Where can you take this brand, and how do you make sure you don't devalue the brand wherever you go next? So, you know, Chobani has, um, you know, a bunch of different yogurt product lines. I think they went into shakes. Um, I don't know how those are doing, but, and then I think they even, I think they have, are they invested in La Colombe or one of those coffee shops? Hum, Hamdi himself. Yeah. Okay. Hamdi himself. Yeah. Is, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's where the growth comes. It comes from new products, new concepts, new markets. So for us, non-dairy, scoop shops, international. Yep. And, of course, we're trying to build a pipeline of more mm-hmm. um, stuff there. But it really comes down to the brand now and the strength of the brand that we've created. And, sure, you want to shore up the core business, but, you know, you're not going to double or triple uh, once you get to a certain size. So um, you just want to kind of shore that up, um, really get the profit and the EBITDA right, or EBIT for us. Um, and, and once that, you know, is hopefully churning out uh, a healthy profit margin or um, net margin year in and year out, then that can help fund everything else you want to do with the brand. I mean, last year there were there were articles and rumors that Halo Top was about to go through a sale. I yep. mean, is there anything you can say about what you and Justin's future plans are on the, in that regard sure i can say uh, those were unequivocally false my favorite one was i think in january there was an article that came out um that said unilever just backed out of a deal after weeks of diligence um or something like that and it's like i, I don't know who's doing the diligence but i certainly wasn't involved um it, it it's frustrating on one end because then you have to, everybody believes you're going to sell, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're, we're trying to develop long-term relationships and partnerships with retailers, with manufacturers, um, with brokers even. And it's hard to do when those articles come out and there's nothing, there, there's not one ounce of truth to that article. It truly is fake news. Um, as much as I don't, <laughs> want to use that word. Um, but th- there's not one ounce of truth to the article. And now you've got to, defend yourself and you can like some people who probably know me personally believe me but for people who you know only have known me for six months or right. you know they're probably like oh yeah. you know this guy's full of it yeah. and um so it's frustrating you know having to deal with that um but you know it, it is it is what it is it's, it's kind of we have thick skin it's 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 par for the course it's part of part of the game um and then future for us we went through such years of of real hard times that it, it finally became fun and easy and successful <laughs> that uh, I don't think we're, we're not really ready to let that go yet. Um, but I, you know, we, we really like running it as a private company. Um, 
I, you know, if you're talking five, ten years, which we don't even think about, I think you could. Cons- I think Chobani's gearing up for an IPO. Um, that's what we're, you know when you start diversifying your product lines and everything. That's that's usually what you're trying to do there. So, I mean, I I really like running a private company without mm-hmm. the regulation, without the freedom. We don't have a board. It's just my partner and myself. We we get to decide everything. We can be nimble, which I think is a key um, going forward if we mm-hmm. want to stay ahead of the game. Um, so I I don't know. Um, we we haven't we haven't gotten that far ahead yet, but um, I'll let you know when we do. How about team building? I mean, one of the things that we talked about before we started the podcast was around Halo Top still doesn't have, a, I guess, an official headquarters or, or building. How do you think about how you've built the company from an infrastructure standpoint? Type of people you've hired, and what do you do going forward in terms of do you do you and Justin continue to run it all the way through, or do you hire a, a president and CEO? Maybe walk through those different buckets. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'd say you know everything's on the table right now. Though we are having fun on the team building thing specifically. Um, we have a team of I think it's close to a, I think it's about 110 employees now. Um, about 90 or so in Southern California, about 15 in Chicago, and um, you know it's hard when you're spread out. You know how do you build that camaraderie? How do you how do you do the team building stuff? So we've done. Things like um, we did a corporate retreat um, last year to Costa Rica, um, brought everybody at the time. I think it was about 70 or 75 oh, wow. people. That's great. Um, and so, you know, that um, and then we're trying to do just more informally. And, you know, it, it's hard logistically to organize 100 plus people right. into anything. So more informally with the L.A. and the Chicago offices trying to, one, you know, uh, encourage people to uh, come into the office once or twice a week at least you know meet everybody see everybody um, go to happy hour once a month once every couple of weeks you know actually engage we want everybody to like each other and mm-hmm. you know that makes a big difference um, when you're working here so we're, we're experimenting with all that it's all still very much wet paint we, we don't have the right answers we we very we try to talk to all of our employees regularly to say hey candidly give us feedback what do you like what do you not like and that's why we started saying, hey, let's all come into the office at least once a week because a lot of people were like, I feel like I'm on an island. Um, it's, you know, isolating. I don't, you know, the company can be a bit siloed. And we kind of take all that feedback and say, okay, well, let's let's start, you know, doing this or that and, and trying to find the right balance. Did the officeless culture start out of just um, cash efficiency or was there a specific reason? I, I mean, how- I, I would. I would say kind of time efficiency more than cash. Um, I mean, it certainly helped not to have to pay a few grand a month or whatever right. we would have had to pay um, for an office. But I think it's more time, especially in L.A. You know, it's yeah. office can be yeah. two miles away and yeah. take 30 minutes. So um, and, and we're we have people as far south as Orange County um, and as far north. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody in the valley, but there's definitely people in Hollywood, too. So it's it's fairly spread out. Um, and, you know, to ask somebody from Orange County to commute to LA, you know, multiple times a week, it's like, we'd rather you actually work from home and right. Right, spend three hours a day commute. doing something productive instead of being in a car. So, um, that, that's the balance we're trying to strike. But like I said, it's, it works, I think pretty well where we're at right now, but you know, and once we get to a thousand employees, it probably doesn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the whole structure changes and that's kind of where, you know, from 15 to 16 to 17 to 18 and, and even looking forward to 19, we, we kind of keep hitting these materially different stages of company growth, both, um, in terms of, 
you know, financially what the company is dealing with, but also personnel-wise. Because the hardest thing is hiring the right people quickly enough. Um, everybody who scales knows that, and I, we've learned that the hard way. <laughs> I mean, your it, job and your role itself is actually, it's got to have changed dramatically over the years. Um, yeah. Is there one aspect of it that has been the most surprising or challenging? Um, I, I mean, I, I, I think it, it comes down, I don't know if you call it the team building, but it's when it's not just you and your partner right. heads down doing work yeah, yeah it's not just us anymore you know we actually have people who depend on us and and depend on this company and um i, I like that responsibility and that pressure i, I and i i want to create a work environment that people want to work at unlike the work environment i was at before <laughs> i started Halo. you know so it's kind of like how do you how do you hire entrepreneurs to work at a company because yeah. that kind of is the antithesis of an entrepreneur so we, we really are trying to um, hire the entrepreneur, um, and, and then also not micromanage. So give the person real responsibility, real ownership. You know, this is your thing. You know, you get to, you get to be an entrepreneur in your own role here. And, and, um, I think it's working well, but, um, certainly been a learning experience. I mean, are there books or are there other corporate cultures that you guys are are looking to for inspiration? Not books. Um, I, the one that I always look to that I think is, is fairly cool is Netflix. Um, they, 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 they've written up, um, you know, and again, we're the, the crux of our corporate culture, as much as I cringe saying that word is, is that it's anti-corporate. I mean, Mm -hmm. we we don't like the formalities. We don't like the, um, you know, have a meeting to schedule a meeting. You know, we, we don't like inefficient stuff, which I think in any, not in any, in a lot of corporations and that are very bureaucratic and, you know, they've got 10 layers of approvals before a simple decision can be made we're, we're trying to really cut all that fat out and and keep it lean keep it fun and um just keep it nimble that's really key like we can launch a product launch a flavor you know 10 times faster than the big guys because mm-hmm. we don't have those layers and how do you maintain that as you right. keep getting bigger is, right. is a challenge yeah is it changing the type of person you're hiring i mean i guess what's been your approach towards what the background of the types of people you were hiring and hiring now? So um, early on, we definitely, um, we, we probably hired um, a, a lot of young, hungry, smart, um, you know, college or just out of college. Um, uh, I, I say kids, I'm, I'm 32, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, um, and, and they, they were and are perfect. Like they, they have the energy. They have the uh, work ethic. They, they, they have the passion, and, and it's it's exciting and intoxicating being around that. Um, I'd say now I, I think we certainly have to focus um, a little bit um, on experience and how do we find uh, people who have been there, done that, but aren't your kind of corporate, whatever you want to call them. You know what I mean? Like, how do you find? Yeah. The blend, the the blend of the person who, and we found a few great ones, mm-hmm. um, and, and and they are now the model going forward. Is how do we how do we find that for this role? How do we right. find that? You know, the, we want this exact person, which we might have five of them in the company in different roles, but how do we need it for this role? And you know, then you, the best by far is if you can from one of those people, if you can ask them, hey, who in your network right. would fit here, as opposed to just interviewing blindly. But it, it's hard, and it takes a long time. Um, but yeah, that's how we do it, and I, it's definitely hard finding the the entrepreneur who's worked for a big company for ten, fifteen years, whatever it may be. But they're out there. Right after the break, we'll be back with our guest Doug Bouton, president and COO of Halo Top. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. 
You can find us at unfinishedbiz.com and on Twitter at unfin underscore biz. Subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or any podcast app of your choice. Have feedback for us? Leave us a review, but please give us a good one. And now let's get back to our episode with Halo Top's Doug Bouton. Has there a, a been a point in time when you really had to bet the company? Um, yes, uh, we. I mean, it was really that thirteen, fourteen, and probably to a lesser extent fifteen um, phase. So when we were again both drowning in credit card debt, yeah, um, th- there was no backup plan. We didn't have um, neither one. You know, we're not guys who come from money. Our, our parents don't have money. You know, it's not not one. Of, there was absolutely no backup plan. If this thing failed, we were done. Um, I think when I quit my law firm, I had about thirty grand in my checking. Uh, Twenty grand went into Halo Top to help you know bridge it until we could get some money, and then um, yeah, in fifteen we were in the same position. So we we had not taken off yet. It had been what I guess almost three years uh, since we had kind of started in earnest, and we were still grinding it out. And if we did not, um, if we didn't raise the money we raised, the company was done. So right. there's a lot of pressure there, and then just. You know, you, you make excuses to vendors where it's like, oh, check got lost in the mail. It's coming next week. <laughs> it's like, no, we're, we need to get paid on this PO because we have no cash to right. pay you. Or, you know, we need Lending Club to give us 35 grand so we can make a payment. So um, it, it was bad. But th- those those three years were it, – it's hard to separate them because every, every decision we made was – I guess – when you first start, you don't think about that. But by the time you, you've been on been in the grind and for over a year, two years, three years, that's when it it, it really wears on you mentally and physically. The well, pressure, um, you know, the depression on the losses. We got discontinued from um, Sprouts. We lost half of our store count. Um, again, customers weren't pleased with the product all the time. You know, it it, it wears on you, and, but, and it's a grind. And how did you keep going? Because three years of hearing a ton of no's, yeah. right, and day in, day out. And I'm sure seeing some friends doing different things that are stable and easier. And, and you know, at some point, I'm sure it was like, what am I, what am I doing? Yeah. I, number one, I think it's critical to, or it was critical for me at least, to, um, you know, have a business partner going through the same stuff. Misery loves company. Yeah. It's <laughs> nice to have somebody who, who you can talk to who knows exactly what you're going through, who can talk about the depression, who can talk about being hauled up in your room, you know, for <laughs> a week yeah. just trying to get work done yeah. um, and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, that was number one. And then I, we never we always believed in the product it always we're not brand guys you know mm-hmm. we, we don't it all it all it all starts with the product and if if the product is crap then we're not going to sell it um so for us it we always believed in the product and knew that there was a market out there so i think it, if our product wasn't as good as it was we both probably would have packed up way earlier but we we kept trying it and being, you know, I, I don't like me marketing, but, you know, we were objective about it. And we said, look, this is actually a good product. We just, we got to switch this up or try this or right. do that. And, um, you know, if we could go back and do it again, I think with what we know now, we could, I don't know what the timing would be, but it wouldn't take five or six years. I think knowing the mistakes we made, yeah. we could probably do this in two years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I'm not that's not bragging about yeah, that. Yeah. That's just learn. That's that's the amount of mistakes we made. I think I think we took, you know, four or five years longer than we needed to, and almost went under, you know, three or four times over. So, well, I mean, Halo Top's been one of the most successful food and beverage entrepreneurial stories of potentially ever. Um, is there a particular high point that resonates with you? 
Yeah, I mean, the once we, I, I still look back to sixteen when um, we. <laughs> so we we also would cut our salaries. So we neither one of us took big salaries, um, and you know we needed to. We'd suspend them for a quarter, whatever, to keep the company afloat. Right. Um, in sixteen, I think you know revenue in January was whatever. I think it doubled in February. That's when the article came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it doubled again in March. And we were both kind of looking at each other like, is, is this real? <laughs> is this going to stay? Like, oh, like, are we on the growth yeah. curve? Like, have we made it? You're, um, like, you're like, is this what people talk about? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were, um, I don't know, we might have been at like 50 or 60 grand is, is what our salaries were. Um, which in L.A., again, you know, that would have been plenty of money where I grew up. But in L.A., that, that's not a whole lot of money, right. um, especially outside of rent, um, which is expensive there. So once we... Uh, you know, it was. I remember. I think in April we were like, "All right, if it does it again in April or May, I can't remember." We we're like, "We might go up to seventy k. We we, <laughs> might, we we might take a salary increase or something." You know, it was something. Yeah. It was a really small salary increase, yeah. but um, I, that to me that was a really really fun time uh, thinking back because man, again, you, you've been grinding for so long yeah. and, and it's been so hard, and you have not had much success. Um, and for it to actually start to work out and, and the chips to start to fall in your favor, it, it is it is such an amazing feeling. Um, you that know crazy thing, Doug? That? That's only two years ago. I know. <laughs> that's, that's insane. We always talk so, about it. I'm laughing. About, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hearing what you're saying, and then I'm putting it in the time context. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that was like two years ago, and his long time ago was like five yeah. Years ago, but it's, it's that's. But my point being, that's how amazing the Halo Top story we, is. We talk about right? inside the company. We talk about Halo Top time, and, yeah. and you know, somebody who works for us for six months, they're they're a veteran. You know, it's yeah. it, well, one. I mean, we we went from two to a hundred people in you know the last eighteen months. So right. I mean, it's it's just been it's been a wild ride. It's been a very fast ride, and we always think we're like, man, we pack so much growth into such a short period of time. You almost don't get appreciate all of it because it's like from one one week to the next, um, you know, something good was happening um, for a period of time right. there, and it's you know stuff that would like make your year, yeah. and it'd be like, oh my god, Kroger took a full door, like this is crazy. Um, Walmart's bringing us in, you know what I mean? Like yeah. big six, or you know, we got this PR article on BuzzFeed or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was just like so much of it. Uh, there's just been so much growth packed into such a short period of time. It, it's been amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it's one of those things where, you know, I, I feel like on some level, um, you know, I, I need a bit of perspective and distance from it yeah. to appreciate it where right. I'm, I'm still very much kind of, you know, in the I, middle I, of it right. and, and kind of in the eye of the storm, so to speak. Yeah. So at this point, what keeps you up at night? Uh, two kids under two to start. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the business though, um, yeah, it's it's still not easy. So now, I mean, it's the Halo Top category is you know has twenty competitors, yeah. private labels in there. The big guys are in there. Tons of small guys are in there. So, um, yeah, I mean, number one is hey, how do we fortify and shore up the core business? Um, and then two is hey, if we want to get from A to B, B being the Chobani type story and trajectory, mm-hmm. and you know really get to that bulletproof phase where like you know hey nothing is going to take down right. coca-cola right you know what i mean like you can take some body blows it, exactly yeah. like how do we get from here to there and i don't think we're anything close to that yet but i think that's the uh that's the challenge that really the opportunity in front of us and and how do we how do we get from a to b um 
and it probably won't be a straight line. I'm sure there'll be <laughs> all kinds of <laughs> mistakes is, along right. the way. Um, but I think that's the that's the vision, and um, and yeah, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see. Robin, that I heard a little bit. I mean, he just he just said that he's not sure he really likes private equity folks. I, I don't think he was talking about us. Yeah, you know, I think he actually considers us to be professional podcasters, and maybe we have like private equity as a side hustle. So I think we're good. Nice. We we're coming up in yeah. this. We're coming up in the world That's a little bit here. That's what I'm saying. Well, I think the one of the funnier sort of moments in in our conversation was this whole idea about how Halo Top came to be from a, a naming perspective. And you've got these two reformed lawyers coming up with a name, Eden Creamery, uh, and really sort of building a business around that and then realizing that they couldn't defend the IP. Um, you know, uh, definitely, uh, I'm sure in retrospect, they look at that and, and they got to laugh. Funny story about Eden Creamery. We started calling on Halo Top from the beginning. But as we as time went on, we kept seeing this company called Eden Creamery popping up in the data. And I'd go on the website. And I'd look Eden Creamery and I'd get this, go to this web page with... With cows and, and <laughs> pictures of milk and cheese, but turns out it was Halo Top. But but one of the most interesting parts of the story was that it, it wasn't just this rocket ship. You know, there were first couple of years were pretty challenging, including getting discontinued from Sprouts and other retailers. And mm-hmm. one of the interesting things is it it wasn't just that it got discontinued, but he used the word depression. And although the journey wasn't long, it didn't mean that these challenges didn't hit as hard. And uh, but on the flip side, you know, as things started to get better and better, you start getting, you know, a lot of information out there. And, you know, last year there were sales rumors. And I do appreciate that Doug spent some time talking about what fake, <laughs> fake news, <laughs> not fake news, uh, but at least his perspective on on where they're thinking about taking the business. But basketball is a, a real theme to this story. It's how it started. And, and what you're going to hear, it's it's kind of how it ends. And uh, you'll learn a little bit more about how a father with two kids under two plays basketball today. You know, I, uh, I'm trying to find a pickup game. There's actually a, uh, a group fitness thing in Chicago called uh, Hoops Link right now where they do like a basketball version of like, you know, soul cycle. Yeah. So that you're running like drills and stuff like that. So I've been trying that one no out way. a little bit. But I haven't uh have not found a pickup game in the city. I'll have to look into that. Um and yeah, I'm I'm trying to force myself to, you know, get away from the computer a little bit more. You know, can I um I don't know, tennis, golf, any of that stuff. I've never grown up playing any of these things. I'm just I'm trying to pick up something to, you know, force me to get out there. But yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of free time between the business and, and the family right now. All right, Doug, you ready for our signature rapid-fire game? Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, cat person or dog person? Dog. West Coast or East Coast? West Coast. What's your go-to alcoholic beverage? Beer. Allagash White. Nice. Favorite sports team? Yankees. Favorite superhero? Cable. Oh, nice. Uh, influential <laughs> person in your life? I'll go with mom and dad. What's the one place you want to travel to right now? Um, Vietnam. If you could trade lives with one person in the world for a day, who would it be? Wow. You got to give me a second to think about that one. <laughs> um, Derek Jeter. Biggest fear? Heights. What are you most proud of? Um, 
probably my two kids if I'm being cheesy. Um, <laughs> and then outside of the personal life, Halo Top, I'm really proud of, of what we've accomplished. If you had access to a time machine, where's the one event or period you'd travel to? This, I love this question. So I'm going to the Middle Ages um, and hopefully... Hopefully I'm royalty, but I, got, I don't know. <laughs> King Doug. <laughs> it could go very wrong. It could. Uh, it could. How do you like your steak cooked? Uh, medium rare. Actually, black and blue. So where you char the outside. Oh. Do you have any tattoos? If so, of what? No, I don't. You can get a Halo Top tattoo? I am not. What uh, is your Wi-Fi password? I don't even know. It's on the list. Yeah, Are we guess. done? Wi-Fi yeah. password? All right, you want? No, no, no. no. Well, last question. What... What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, I would say take the leap. I think that's the hardest thing to do. Always can find an excuse not to do it. Um, there's always good reasons, not bad reasons. There's always good reasons not to take the leap. Um, don't get me wrong. But um, if, if you're wired, um, if you truly are an entrepreneur and wired that way, then um, I don't think you'll re- regret it even if it fails. Um, and I say this, and I said this even in the dark days of Halo Top. My worst day at Halo Top was still better than my best day at the law firm. And even if Halo Top failed, I still would have been extremely proud um, of what we had tried to do. And I never would have regretted one minute of it. And I would have gotten involved in some other business. Um, So take the leap. Well, perfect. Well, thanks for joining us on Unfinished Biz, Doug. Thanks for having me. Thanks. You've been listening to Unfinished Biz. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Robin. We'll be back on the next episode with... Tarang Amin, chairman and CEO of Elf Cosmetics and a true consumer product veteran. Elf caters to young, diverse makeup enthusiasts with innovative cosmetics. And Tarang knows that celebrities aren't always the best way to sell products. And affordable, it doesn't have to mean cheap. Even though we've extended our price points, you know, one of our best-selling items is a 10-piece brush set for $30, right? And at one point, people didn't think you could have a $30 item on Elf, but it's an extraordinary value. So staying true to your roots of where where you started in this high quality, extraordinary value. Even as we've expanded into skincare, we've we've started getting into skincare in the last couple of years, and it's the same same approach. That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.